some of the biggest learning curves and opportunities we've had to improve have been through things going hard. Not always wrong, but going hard. Welcome back to Waves, powered by Arcade, a show for marketers, creators, and entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. We're your hosts, Mike and Mitzi, and today we have the special privilege of being joined by our two social media interns, Andre Sonnenberg and Charmaine Dizon. Andre Sonnenberg is a fourth-year student pursuing her Bachelor of Communications in Public Relations at MRU. Last year, she had the incredible opportunity to work at a communications agency based in Copenhagen, Denmark, where she focused on PR campaigns, influencer relations, and event production. Whether it's creating captivating content or staying ahead of the curve with trends, she is constantly inspired by the amazing individuals at Arcade who push boundaries and think outside the box. Charmaine's nearing completion of her Bachelor of Business Administration in Marketing and Accounting. She was thrilled to be chosen for more than 5,000 applicants to be one of the 50 interns for Aritzia's inaugural internship program in 2022, and now is one of our kids' social interns. And then with graduation approaching, Charmaine is excited to bring fresh perspectives and innovative ideas to the marketing industry. Welcome, Andre and Charmaine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We made it. We're here. This is so exciting for us. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be good. And today we're flipping the script. You will be asking us questions and we're so excited about that. How do you both feel about being interviewers? Pretty excited, super nervous, but happy to be here. Yeah, there's a first for everything. So excited, (laughs) but also a little bit nervous. (laughs) You're going to crush it. It's going to be great. Maybe this will inspire a new podcast. Never know. Maybe. Yeah. This is the beginning of something. Yeah. No, definitely. But thank you, Mitzi and Mike. Like what Andre had said, we're both so excited to be here. Uh, we thought what better way to start off this episode than with a super quick icebreaker. Okay. I'm going to give you guys a topic and then I want you both to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You ready? All right. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Favorite lunch spot? Neighbor. Cheeky man, yeah. Oh, nice. That's good. <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> Yay. Favorite TV show? Hijack. Oh, um, Succession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And then dream vacation destination. Ooh. I know. Uh, I'm going to go with Japan. I'm going to go with Paris. I should have Paris. said Mexico City. I know. I almost said Tulum. <laughs> just so I love that we places. haven't said the same ones. Yeah, I know. There's so we many love going to go. Hawaii, but but um, yeah, we went for ones we haven't been to yet. Yeah, on the list. Love that. We'll get there. And then with lunch spot, I barely ever, I barely ever eat a cheeky menu. I feel like if it was more like most common lunch spot, I would say Min Chow across the street for a noodle bowl. But. Mm, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe for the next icebreaker. (laughs) Well, thanks for playing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today, Charmaine and I wanted to kind of pick your brains about um, what it means to be a top performer as a student and professional. And this includes how to stand out without causing friction, nurturing creativity, and knowing your worth and being confident in that. We thought, who better to ask than two successful and innovative agency owners with years of experience in the marketing world? So I'll let Charmaine kick off our first question here. Thank you, Andre. Okay, Mike and Mitzi, are you ready? Let's Let's do do it. it. All right, my first question is, 
Aside from obvious things like completing tasks on time, what are some less obvious ways top performers show up? Ooh, this is, I love this question because I think it's so much less about like checking off your to-do list. For me, a top performer is someone who just like handles things and can problem solve. So I think, I think I I saw a TikTok video of um, former President Obama talking about who he really thinks are top performers and it resonated so much with me, but he said like basically Everyone has so many ways to articulate their problems and can spend all day talking about their problems, but the people he really looks out for and really loves to have on his team are people who just handle it. And they take fewer words and they just like, they say like, I'll take care of that, you know, and they just take it from start to finish and they take care of it. So I think it's not just about checking off you know, your to-do list and completing something on time. For me, someone who has like can handle, you know, problem solving and, and it's okay if something comes up that you don't know how to handle and ask for help, but being like solutions focused is really something that like I love. And so for me, that's what kind of like set someone apart. And it's something that like I think about when I think about promoting someone or just the way it's like a posture and less of like, um, yeah, it's like a posture of like problem solving. Yeah. I I, I was going to say the same thing. Problem solving, I think is a superpower that just not everybody has, but I feel like if they, if anyone wants to, they can, like Mitzi said, take on that posture. And, um, I also think like kind of hand in hand with that, if we're thinking in the context of like a student or an intern, um, just the willingness to put yourself out there and try things, like put your hand up when when something's needed. Um, we always talk about how across our company, not just with interns, but all of us, we want to always be in beta. And really what that means is being iterative. And uh, it took us a long time to articulate that. But really what that means to me is like a willingness to to try, even if you don't feel like you're the expert already, or even if you've never done it before, like the two of you being on a podcast today, um, the willingness to try something and do a good job, like show up with the best of your ability, but then learn from it and continue to improve every time you do it from there. Um, and that works on an individual level, but it also in like a broader scope really is how we differentiate ourselves as a team to our clients because um, I think there's some um, some people and even agencies would really templatize their work, which means that um, it might be good enough, but it's never improving. And then others might strive for perfection, which really limits the output. You know, it might be whatever they ship is actually is really quality, but they're not shipping enough of it, or they're not getting en- enough done. So I'd say if we really dial that down to an individual, especially in the early days of a career. The willingness to try something, get it out there, do your best, and then try it a little bit differently and just kind of iterate from there every time you do it afterwards is huge. Love that. Oh, I need to like yeah. be taking points. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is yeah. going to be get something you, you can transcript. listen to again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. definitely. Yeah. All right. So the next question is, um, what qualities do you believe make a student stand out when interviewing for an internship? I feel like my answer to that question has probably evolved over the like last few years because students are built different these days. Like when I was a student, I was like 
I don't know, doing like half as much as students do now. They have such impressive resumes. I think both of you have so impressive, like such impressive resumes. I always have very small expectations for students, especially who are applying for internships, because I don't expect them to have this like long list of accomplishments or, you know, past career moves. But I've been really surprised to how much students are achieving. And I guess like what I look for is just like the willingness to be teachable. It's like kind of back to like always being in beta. So like I'll ask questions about like, what are you trying to learn? Um, and I think that's really exciting to me when I get like really thoughtful responses um, and, you know, be around your creative people. Cause I think people who strive to create a network of people that they really admire, I think they're going to go far. And I think that's like something you should be doing whether you're a student or, you know, working as a professional somewhere else. Yeah. I'd say um, things that I look for in interviews, like a teachable posture, desire to like be around other people and then like just the willingness to try anything. Um, and it's hard to always catch that in an interview, but we do our best to ask questions around it. And I also like to, to know that they're like people outside of just their work. Like I love learning about people's hobbies and interests in an interview process. I don't know if that's like stuff you should be asking, but I love knowing that kind of thing. Cause it's, it's not just about work. Sometimes I think the, the interests you have outside of work always influence what you do and how you show up at work. So people who have like really strong, you know, like social lives or hobbies or things like that, I feel like that signals to me that there's someone who like pursues things outside of their professional work and that's going to make their work better. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like what I'm going to say is probably very similar, but maybe just in different words. But I would say it's very similar when interviewing an intern to interviewing even a more senior role or even when we're considering a potential client. Really what we're looking for is traits, I would say. Like like it could be personality or it could be elements that we can pick up on their character that signal to us that they will be a good fit. You know, especially with an intern because you're still in school, you don't really have a lot of experience and we don't expect you to. Um, it's more about the way you look at the world and the way you carry yourself and what what you're interested in, in and passionate about. And so I think that's really, even for both of you, what stood out to us is um, we were less focused on experience and more about the way you looked at marketing and how excited you were about it and also even just how if it felt like the way you carried yourselves would align with the way our team carries themselves and the way we do our work. And it felt pretty pretty natural there. Um, so I think that's the biggest factor in the, the like abilities, like the skills needed to do the work are things that you can learn and really only develop as you're doing the work. So that's, that's what the point of the internship is once we've aligned on the traits that we're looking for. That's so great. I think a, a big stress for students um, when interviewing is that they're just nervous. They don't have enough experience, but it's kind of the argument of how do you gain experience when no one's willing to hire you without experience, right? So mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's really, it could give a lot of students um, peace of mind that you don't just look at their experience because they are still students. It's more about their attitude, the posture they um, take which you guys were speaking about and just I don't know their general thoughts about an excitement about the industry so I think that's really totally. really big. yeah we always try to hire people who like 
really are excited about this industry and you don't have to have a previous job to show that. Like I think with, especially in social media, which is a big thing of big part of what we do as an agency, like you can create an account even just for yourself and take it so far, you know, like you need to have like a marketing mindset in order to do that. And I think we have always wanted to hire people who are passionate about what we do outside of just doing it for a client or doing it for a job. So if we see examples of like, oh, this is like your makeup account or this is my personal account or this is my fashion account, like we love seeing that because you're able to take that like those skill set and that way of thinking and applying it to something and that comes from a place of passion, not of obligation. So I think even seeing that, like I I love seeing, I love it. So I think there's a lot of ways you can stand out, even if you don't necessarily have like a previous job or previous experience, especially in this industry. Because I know for sure, you know, like my role as at an agency will, like I'll be replaced at some point by someone who's had more experience, who's done more with like these platforms that are free and accessible. So I think if you can show some early signs of that, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's great. Hey folks, we'll be back to the episode in a sec. Are you tired of constantly reacting to trends and platform changes in the marketing space? We want to help you stay ahead of the curve with Scan Club. It's a bi-weekly newsletter giving you an early look at what's heating up in our fast-paced digital universe. A surprise product, a new marketing tactic, or even a viral TikTok, if it's a signal of change, we've got it covered. With Scan Club, you'll learn to spot these signals, understand their impact, and establish your strategies with confidence. Get the future in your inbox. Join Scan Club today and let's start scanning. Click the link in the description to subscribe. Okay, so our next question is, creativity is huge in the social media and digital marketing world. So how does creativity play into being a top performer? This is massive. I think um, when I think about creativity, it it partially comes back to Mincy's point about being a problem solver, but... I think a lot of people can do the activity. You know, they can they can execute when given instructions or when they have a specific channel to produce content for or whatever. And to me that's not creativity. That's just kind of execution. It's it's tactical. But the true value comes from creativity. And that's not just for again like junior marketers. That's for agencies to clients and even like me as like a accounts person or like salesperson as I'm trying to create new opportunities as well. Creativity, when I think about it, is on one side like creating interesting visuals, but also even more than that, it's like understanding the bigger picture and figuring out um, maybe less um, less obvious ways to solve those problems. And really like that can be as simple as um, aside from just knowing we need to post on Instagram for this brand better understanding who their audience is and how their like product or service actually aligns with that audience and really understanding not just who the audience is but what what their issue is like what problem can we solve for them with the product or service and then using that information to translate into what kind of activities we should be doing and what kind of content we should be producing or even a specific campaign that speaks to their needs and kind of helps them self identify as a potential customer um, it's that kind of thinking that really, to me, expresses what creativity means in the work that we do, um, and that's invaluable. You know, like I said, anyone can execute, but the people that can zoom out and understand how to approach something 
in a way that gives them the opportunity to innovate or help a customer self-identify is like, that's a game changer and you're going to progress in your career. For sure. Yeah, I think that's so, so true. And I think it's funny because I interviewed someone recently and they said that they weren't creative and it's because they haven't really like had a creative role before. They're not a designer. They're not like, I don't know, an artist, photographer, whatever. But there's like Mike was saying, like there's so many other ways you can be creative. And I think creativity to me means like kind of like stopping your day to day and trying to approach it differently. And it's really hard to do, like, especially in like a busy environment, especially like when things are even going well, like why would you stop or going okay? Like there's no symptoms or needs to stop. But I think when you're taking a creative posture, you're like stopping and asking like, why not do this differently? Or why don't we do something new? Why don't we breathe new life into this? Let's like create a campaign for a campaign's sake. Like there's so many other ways um, to be creative outside of just like creative work. Like there's like Mike's creative every day and his role and his role is so like not creative. Same with me. Mine's more strategic, but there's other ways to be creative in that. Um, so I think it's so important to like always like have that idea of like just stopping and thinking about it differently or approaching it differently and also taking inspiration from other places. I think creativity can also be a discipline. It's not just like, are you creative in this moment in this role right now? It's also like, are you, you know, taking time to be inspired by things or like watching things that are different or hearing different perspectives, you know, like learning can also be a creative act too. So I think, like creativity is so important in any role and especially for like if you want to be successful in marketing but it is like a discipline you need to build no matter what your role is so yeah I think it's incredibly important. I have an example um, from last year <clears throat> we were working with a, a condo developer in the city and they had just done a cool townhome development in Altador um, close to Mount Royal and uh Part of the development wasn't just the townhomes, but there's also basement suites. And the basement suites just weren't really moving. Like people weren't signing leases for them. Um, because obviously the hero of that project was the townhouse. And the townhouses filled up really quickly. But um, we were managing social for them, and uh, they came to us to be like, hey, how can we how can we lease up these basement suites? And in a traditional industry like development or construction or like real estate. Um, you don't really think about a platform like TikTok. You might think, okay, let's let's take let's set up a booth at Mount Royal and talk to students about how close these basement suites are, or um, run some Facebook ads or something like that. Um, but someone, one of, I don't think it was even uh, one of our leads, but it was someone from our team just had the idea. Let, let's create a few like really short, snappy videos of the basement suites, make them look really awesome, have more of like an MTV crib style tour of the space and uh, and post them on TikTok and see how they do just to just as a kind of shot in the dark. And uh, we did that and a few of them ended up going viral but one of them hit over a million views and uh, the basement suites all leased up. Like within the, a few days of those TikToks there was tons of applicants and then they were leased up within the month. So that was just like a cool small example of someone just having an idea. It was low lift, you know. It was a couple quick videos on an iPhone. Um, it was non-traditional, unexpected for the client, 
but obviously not a huge expense to them either. So it solved the problem of reaching students on a platform that they're likely to be spending time anyway, while also not requiring a big investment for the brand. And then, of course, it worked really well. So it's just like it's just approaching um, opportunities or problems with a kind of like an outside of the box way of thinking to really uh, understand how you can approach it differently. So it was pretty awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. Like it's very interesting how like creativity can be seen in different pillars, right? And like everything that you guys have said to like creativity is not just like getting a pen and drawing on a piece of paper. It's about problem solving and being able to think in a different way or see a situation in a different perspective. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's really interesting. And even staying creative when things are going well, I think is such yes. an interesting yeah. point. If something's not working, it's easy to recognize that, hey, this isn't working. We probably need to switch it up. But when things are going well, to make sure that you're not just coasting and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, staying on totally. top of Definitely. And that reminds me, one thing that I was thinking about um, around like creativity and things like that is like, as an agency, our job is to get rejected. And what I mean by that is like, bringing up ideas that get shot down is part of the jobs. Like the client should get a little afraid of what we're coming up with because they're not ready to take steps like that. So sometimes when like, someone on our team we're doing a strategy or something we're like let's just pitch it like who knows what if they say yes like that could be fun they say no like that's okay because our job is to get rejected and be pushing those boundaries often because like an agency our thing that we sell is our ideas and our creativity so like if we're not pushing the boundaries and doing things that make a client uncomfortable or proposing things that make a client uncomfortable we're not really doing what they're paying for us to do you know like we're not giving or fulfilling the service that they've they've like been contracting us to do so I think being okay with getting rejected too is also part of that creative process is like pitching something getting it shut down and sometimes it's like can feel discouraging but every time it happens I'm always like no that's part of my job is to get like rejected and that's okay yeah so kind of going off of that we know that one of the values at arcade is to always be in beta Uh, So what are some ways that you continue to better yourselves in this industry? Yeah, I think, um, Andre, you kind of touched on it as you were um, responding to our answers on the last question, but you mentioned um, obviously you want to change things up if things aren't going the way you planned, but also even when things are going well, you don't want to just coast. You want to be kind of reevaluating how you can approach um, the work that you're doing. And I would say that's kind of how we look at this. Um, when we're bringing on a new client, we often talk about um, looking for wins early. You know, we want to find a way to like make a difference as soon as possible and make it feel for the client that their investment is warranted. And um, that's one thing that we always work towards. But part of that too is also we want to move as quickly as possible to establishing a baseline, kind of like a foundation of the work that we're going to be doing. Like at at the very minimum, this is what you can expect um, for our activities. And one of the reasons we do that is to manage expectations with the client and make them feel like we're getting to um, a, a flow, for lack of better words, as quickly as possible. But it also the baseline is where we kind of measure from in terms of innovating and iterating and trying new things. And as soon as we can establish that baseline of the work that we've been scoped to do, um, the more 
opportunity we have to start being creative and thinking of other ideas like campaigns or or um, opportunities and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes, like Mitzi said, they'll get rejected, but other times they'll get approved, and it's a way that for us to make a bigger splash from time to time for the brand. Um, and that's kind of like when things are going well. I would say we've also, some of the biggest learning curves and opportunities we've had to improve have been through things going hard. Not always wrong, but going hard. Um, one example of that is when we worked with, um, we started working with one of the biggest health institutions in the U.S. during COVID. And this was like a really sensitive time for hospitals, obviously, because there's quarantine, there's people dying, um, there's people on like ventilators, and there's tons of people asking questions because we had so limited information. So we started working with this health institution right in the middle of the pandemic and worked with them on some campaigns. Um, but there was a lot of pressure and it wasn't just marketing. It was also like crisis communications, you know? So we had to learn to not just be uh, like content creators and publishers, but also understand how to respond in a crisis or manage also like more from a PR perspective. Um, but then another aspect that we had never really been forced to be so meticulous with was what I would call quality assurance. And you know, sometimes we know typos happen on social media, or there might be an error in a graphic, or like a logo might get cut off, or something like that. And we try to avoid that. But most of the time, it's not mission critical. You know, if something happens, we we apologize or we correct it. We figure out what caused it and we fix it for the future. But in this case, with the institution that's like globally known and really in the public eye because of the situation, any sort of mistake was mission critical. So we had to learn really quickly how to create and then constantly iterate a quality assurance system that would protect all of the content that we're publishing. And for an entity like that, it was like at that time, like 150 posts a month. You know, it was a crazy volume. So to be able to do a high volume, of like timely, um, high quality content that was like um, helping people feel at ease during a really sensitive time, and then also make sure that there was no errors. That we were literally striving perf- for perfection. That was an example of a time where things were very difficult, but it it gave us the opportunity. We saw it as an opportunity to create a system we never had before to meet the needs of the moment. And now that the, the, that workflow still serves us today and it has allowed us to stand out against our competition for other clients that are less sensitive but still have a, a standard of excellence for their content because we, we know how to catch those errors and be responsible and take accountability um, and make sure that the content is top-notch. I don't know what you'd say, Mitzi. Yeah, um, I'd say for me, like personally, I think um, one way that I'm trying to be in beta is just like adapting with the industry. I think um, I decided early in the year, at the beginning of the year, that I didn't want to get left behind when it comes to video content creation. And so I've been like really trying hard to like improve those skills, filming and posting. And it's, it's more of like a muscle I wanted to like flex a little bit and improve. And I'm, I feel like I've made good strides this year and it was really like uncomfortable and it still kind of feels uncomfortable and hard and 
but it, I think it's important that I just keep trying. Um, I also think that this podcast has helped us stay in beta too because we get to learn from so many really great like thinkers and minds in the industry and we get to have conversations and I get to be selfish and ask some questions that I have um, that could maybe help me in my work. So I feel like that's been good. And then our other podcast, Tea for Lunch, has been like a really good way that helps me stay in beta because I wanted to like be better at being reactive with video talking about a subject matter and also like understanding what's happening. And so that's a great medium for that. So I feel like every time I want to improve something, I just like, or try to improve in a way for myself. I just try to find ways that we can do it as arcade. And it's been really cool to like have, be able to like set that up. And so, so I think those are some of the ways that I'm trying to stay in beta um, apart from like reading everything I can and just like consuming content thoughtfully and things like that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. This type of like mentality is almost like always being a student. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys are already like at a good good level in, in this um, in your marketing agency. Um, but just the fact that you guys always are wanting to learn more is really inspiring too. Yeah, we, nice. we see it. That's so. awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our next question is, how do you show up as a top performer without crossing boundaries or stepping on people's toes, especially as a student or someone new in the workplace? Mike, I'm curious what you would say. I feel like we have like different postures about this. Well, like not really. I just feel like I'm probably more bullish. And if I'm trying to think like if I were someone new and an intern and, you know, maybe I had some ideas that... I wanted to share like maybe I would have been a bit more timid in younger years but now I feel I would just say things I've learned that like sometimes just because someone's a bit more senior than you doesn't mean that they have better ideas than you or better you know like there's so much you can learn I think a good manager makes sure there's a great you know two-way communication between the people they have on their team and who they have so they're they're not missing out on some of that stuff. But I try to think of like if if I were in that position and I felt like I didn't have that two-way dialogue, what would I do? And I feel like I'd be more bullish now and I would just I wouldn't really care as much about stepping on people's toes, but I don't know if that's like a great answer for this kind of question. So I'm curious what you would say, Mike. Well, yeah, I, th- I don't necessarily disagree. I, I I don't think I wouldn't recommend going into something thinking, how can I avoid stepping on someone's toes? You know, that's just not that's just not the mindset to have. But I I do think you want to have some like a level of self awareness to know that you're not necessarily being overbearing. You know, because we've talked about being willing and available and creative, having ideas, being willing to try things. Those are all fantastic traits. None of those are overbearing. It may be that sometimes that causes someone else to feel threatened if they're not willing to to be like that. Um, but I don't think you need to worry about that. You know, that's not within your control, um, and that shouldn't change the positive traits that you bring to the table um, in your in the capacity of your role. Um, I would say. It is important to be humble, and that's one of the traits that we look for. Um, and I'm just trying to think of things that I've learned from people that are more experienced than me. And one of them, I would say, is just having the the mindset of like making other people look good. 
Um, I, I, I want to make sure that we don't portray humility as being like self-deprecating or putting yourself down or diminishing your ability because that's definitely not something that we encourage. But having a, a team mindset where, especially with your superiors, maybe the leader on your team, but also with your cohort, like um, your peers, the people at your level, any opportunity you can take while still maintaining those other traits of creativity and iteration and um, humility and stuff like that, any opportunity you can have to make them or you as a team collectively look good without necessarily needing to have all the credit is a great way um, to show up as a top performer and still be really keen and have a bullish posture without just like being a bull in the china shop and breaking things and like and hurting people and rubbing people the wrong way. And I think any like good leader will recognize that, you know. They'll it's easy to see who's contributing and who's not. So even if you're if it was your idea but you uplift the team and share the credit, like it's still going to be evident that it was your idea, um, at least eventually. So, because uh, you're going to be the one that keeps showing up that way. So, yeah, that that would be my kind of like unpolished, quick reaction to that question. Um, I don't know if Mitzi, you have anything else after hearing that. No, I feel like I learned that from you too. Like looking for because we we kind of experience this sometimes. Say we have like a new client, and maybe they're like a bigger corporate client, and you're kind of like dealing with a few different relationships or a few different like stakeholders. And there are sometimes stakeholders who maybe like want to assert more dominance or maybe feel like they want to set more boundaries. And then there's another stakeholder who's like, run with it, go crazy. And you have to balance the two and still like appeal to that person who's like creating some more boundaries and maybe is a bit more like, like more difficult to work with or get things passed. And Mm -hmm. you, Mike, told me to like try to make that person look good. So like whoever, and even asking them overtly, like what can I do to make you look good? Like I think that's a question we've asked some of our clients because knowing that they have stakeholders above them, like how can we make you look good? Like that's a question everyone loves to get. And then it kind of makes you like co-collaborators. It kind of changes like the relationship a little bit. So even asking and being like outright with that, I think, People, it, it's also so direct that it's kind of like takes you back a little bit. So I think it's like disarming. you taught me that. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely disarming. So even like asking those questions would be cool. Yeah, I think that's, I'm glad you added that because especially um, as a junior level team member or intern or student, um, I think especially in those contexts, context, there can just be this like default um aura of like competition or like needing to dominate to be noticed. Um, so anytime that you kind of like flip that on its head and approach it more from a team perspective and helping each other look good and um, succeed, then that really quickly changes people's mindsets and kind of like warms them to you and makes them feel like they want to do the same. They want to reciprocate that for you. And then like Mitzi said with the client as well, I think um, we've definitely seen instances like that, even with the health institution we were talking about. Um, we had to kind of figure out who, who in this case is like the gatekeeper to leadership at that at that company, so that like who really represents our success or failure internally at that organization. And once we knew that, we had the ability to, uh, and not not out of a desire to manipulate, but all 
really just to create a healthy relationship and a healthy like client to service provider um, engagement. We wanted to look for ways to like lift that person up and like sometimes that could be as simple as just responding after hours quickly to like an urgent need because they're that they're the person to leadership that's responsible or accountable for that action getting done, but we're actually the ones that do the work. Um, or it could be sharing credit, or it could be coming up with a cool idea and letting them present it on behalf of everyone to their superior, you know, anything like that, um, because that quickly changes things so that they feel like you, we have a collective goal and a, a, we're, we're working towards something shoulder to shoulder rather than feeling like we're at odds with each other. Never thought of it that way. You guys had a lot of really good points to that. And because, like, for myself, I've always just been so like, I'm like, okay, I'm just, you know, an intern. Um, I'm here to learn. I'm here to listen. But it's also like, I do bring value. I, you know, and I think that I just need to like really believe in myself more than I do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, no, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Learning and listening is good. I wouldn't stop doing that, Mm -hmm. but um, just being willing to be vocal, but then like, yeah, sharing the load and sharing the, the credit for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I was so curious um, to hear your thoughts on this because I think what's really special about Arcade and particularly what's really special about being an intern at Arcade is how welcome the team is to new ideas, no matter who it's from. And so traditionally in a lot of intern roles, it's kind of like, know your place. You don't really say anything. You do it like you do what you're asked to do. And that's kind of it, right? Like, it's Mm. kind of like a rite of passage almost. And so I think it's really interesting and exciting um, what's happening with Arcade because I can speak for myself and I'm sure Charmaine probably, you know, can agree agree that um, we've never felt that our ideas were like stupid or that they weren't welcome. um, And that really helps you grow and also kind of have balance between learning, but also being a top performer and not just doing the bare minimum. So that's really, really interesting. But kind of staying in that same uh, lane, our next question is, how does knowing your worth and trusting your experience and knowledge help you either overcome or embrace imposter syndrome? I love this question um, because I've wrestled with imposter syndrome for a long time. I still do. Um, And I think there's two ways for me that have really helped me embrace imposter syndrome. The first is just understanding that imposter syndrome is actually something really healthy to have. And it means you're in an environment that's new or you're doing something new or you're approaching something at a bigger scale. So, for example, one of the times I felt like I was really struggling with imposter syndrome is when we really built our company to a larger size and I was suddenly managing more people, but also I was in conversations and working with clients who are much bigger in scale. And these are like, you know, more household names, like brands that people recognize. And I suddenly felt like it was, I didn't feel like I could say something or contribute to something or to contribute ideas that I had. But I think once I understood that like this is just a sign of growth and I need to embrace this and this is actually something I should be feeling more often because it means that I'm growing, that really helped me accept it and embrace it. And the other way that I I think about it when I think about imposter syndrome 
is kind of like I liken this is so delusion of me because I'm not an athlete in any way, but I liken it to sports. And I almost think that like my I'm as a marketer, I feel like I'm a athlete. Like and the way that athletes can show up under pressure is because they know they have they've done it before and they have the confidence that comes from doing it over and over and over again. And I do this thing over and over and over again and that helps me build my skill set and it helps me show up and I remember that like I've been here before, I've performed under pressure and I can do it again. So I think having those kind of two mentalities has really helped me embrace imposter syndrome and almost like welcome it sometimes. When I feel too confident, it's almost like I need to be, I need to go somewhere where I don't know what I'm doing as as much or work with a client that feels a little bit more scary so I can feel that again. I absolutely agree. I think it really is that like knowing your worth and imposter syndrome kind of living in tension with each other. Um, I don't know if we'll ever outgrow the imposter syndrome that we feel. Um, but one piece of advice I would have that has served us well is um, becoming a specialist in something. Um, there was an era, like kind of right before we became Arcade, that most agencies were, were full service agencies. And Really what that means is most of them were generalists. They wanted to just be able to do anything that the client needed and bill for it. Um, and that worked for a while because it's convenient for a, a brand to be able to work with one company that can service all their needs. But over time, that just kind of felt a little bit diluted. And when we were launching as Arcade, we we really felt like we needed to be different than that and be have more of a specific niche that we could define. And really what that came down to was what could we specialize in? Like what could we be the best in? And so that's where we really decided to hang our hat on digital and like content production and and stuff like that. And at the time we really focused on e-commerce brands. So it was very specific. And when you become a specialist in something, you can show up to a meeting or a presentation or um, a pitch or whatever it might be and look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the expert. You know, I am, I am the specialist in this specific thing, so I am the best person to speak to it. And we say that all the time with a team. Like if someone's nervous for a meeting with a client, like sometimes we say you're the expert, but other times we say you're the realist in the room. You know, how can you become the realist in the room on one specific um, area or or skill or marketing channel, so that you know. Even if you feel that imposter syndrome, out of everyone in the room, you're the best person to speak to that. You can speak to it confidently, and you can know that whatever your recommendation is, it has a high likelihood of success. And that really helps. Just balance it. Balance the scales between knowing your worth and feeling that that sense of uh, um, or like lack of credential or whatever it might be. Oh, that's so helpful. It's kind of just like really believing in like what you can do, you know, what the value that you bring to the table. So yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Then on to the next question. Um, we hear a lot of negative talk about hustle culture, but what does it actually take to reach your career goals as a recent graduate and how important are setting boundaries? Yeah, I'd say like right now at our stage and where we're at in life, boundaries are so 
critical to our overall health and also like our performance. If we don't set these boundaries, we're going to burn out, especially as entrepreneurs. There's a to-do list that never gets done. And we could either work all day, work all night and get, you know, keep working this never ending to-do list or like take some space, make sure we have rest, vacation, all those things, which actually leads to a better output overall. Um, But I will say like we weren't always like that. And I think if you're a recent graduate and you have high aspirations and career goals that you want to achieve, I think understanding that there will be seasons in life where it's easier for you to work hard and hustle, quote unquote, so what it, when I think about hustle, it's just like, you know, putting it in all you've got, being scrappy, you know, making the most of every opportunity. There'll be seasons for that. And I'd say go for it and then understand that there needs to be an end season to that too. So it's not because it's not sustainable. Like we've seen some people who like really run so hard, building something, work all the time, and then it ends and then their career, they kind of like take like a year off and don't do anything. And, and, you know, that's fine. But I think what leads to like a more sustainable career growth is when you have those seasons of hustle, then you have those seasons where you set boundaries. It doesn't mean you stop working hard. It just means that you've set boundaries to like make space for rest and vacation and things that you need to support your overall well-being. Right now, like we still work hard and we are, we'll be scrappy within a certain time frame. Um, and we'll, if we need to work evenings, we'll make it happen. But I don't think we're in that like work all day kind of mode the way we could have done before because now we have kids and now we have, you know, other people who rely on us and things like that. So I think it's totally okay to have those seasons, but also like know that there's, it's not a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of negativity around the concept of hustle culture as like a brand, you know, like Mm -hmm. when I think of hustle culture and my negative perception of it, it's like a certain um, type of person in a certain posture and less about the work that they're actually doing. And I think often it comes out of insecurity, like probably imposter syndrome and like feeling like they need to prove something to someone. Sometimes it's it's out of uh, this feeling of needing to prove something to yourself and you just end up doing busy work and like working all the time to prove to yourself that you're or to try and convince yourself that you're doing something meaningful when really it's just it's quantity not quality. Mm-hmm. So we've really we've really just focused on like what what does quality work look like rather than quantity work. And um I think being busy is good if it's quality work. Um Mitzi you talk sometimes about um, well, we both talk about setting priorities and um, even with to-do lists, like knowing what's important versus what's urgent. And then what was the, what's the other one? What's the word delegate. we say? Yeah. What can you delegate? And um, often like people can perceive important and urgent as the same thing, but really urgent is just a representation of like how the ask is being made. Like it, it feels urgent because someone's demanding it or, um, it feels time sensitive, but maybe it's less important to your overarching goal or like this the the work that's critical to what you're tr- trying to accomplish. So sometimes urgent can take a backseat to important, and really it should more often than not. Um, and then of course you want to be able to delegate delegate everything else. Um, I think people that subscribe to hustle culture aren't good at delegation, and so part of the reason they're working all the time is because they won't trust anyone else to do the work with them or for them. 
um, because they think they can do it better. And I think that's pretty delusional too. Often there's there's so many things that um, someone else can probably do better off of your to do list rather than just being precious about it and doing it yourself. So. Yeah, I think the standards that we've created or values that we've created at Arcade actually pr- protect us from that. Um, and just to rattle them off quickly, we've talked about one always be in beta. The other one is take it all the way, and then um, be proud of who you are and be humble. And I think really, if you adhere to all four of those standards, you're not going to subscribe to hustle culture because one, you're not you don't feel like you have to prove something to yourself because you're confident in who you are. You're proud of it. You know who you are in the first place. Um, taking it all the way really means just like going above and beyond, like not just um, accomplishing the bare minimum of the task or um, solving the problem, but actually like doing the best that you can in that situation um, and over delivering even. And then, of course, always be in beta. We've already talked about it. It's just having this kind of like learning posture where we're always trying to improve the way that we work and the output that we produce. And of course, be humble is pretty self-explanatory too. Just be honest with yourself about what you're capable of, and then also like what can be done better by someone else or quicker, or where can we ask for help, or um, how can we lift up a team rather than just ourselves. And really, that just there's no way that we can. Get into this like hustle state if we're adhering to those things that we that we say uh, are important to us. So pretty proud of that. That's such a good answer. I wish I said that. It really is. Yeah. I just got to build off your answer, Mitzi. So thank you. <laughs> Tee you up. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I feel like a lot of um, people kind of romanticize the hustle culture, also, uh, and so I really liked your point, Mike, about just kind of being confident in who you are and the work you do, and knowing that you'll work hard but also knowing when to delegate things to so that you can have quality work. Um, But yeah, I guess so for our last question, having all of the experience you have now, what advice would you give to your first year university self? Oh, man. (laughs) Take us back to first year university, Mike. I don't know. Do you have anything, Mitzi? I might need to percolate for a few minutes. Uh, okay, first year university, Mitzi. I was a journalism student. Um, I was living in Florida, and I was—I felt like I knew what I wanted to do, which is my aspirations for like most of my life was to be a journalist and to be a reporter, and specifically a political reporter. Um, I don't think I could have even guessed that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. So, if I could go back in time and give my first year university self some advice, I guess it would be to be flexible and to be open and to take a damn marketing class. Like I wish so badly I had taken a marketing (laughs) class, but I never did. Um, Maybe I'll go back to school one day and take one. Um, But yeah, and I'd say like, I have no regrets about the way like my university days went. Um, I do wish that sometimes I would have been a bit more outspoken or like maybe a bit more um, like less aware of what people think because I don't think people think of you as much as you think they do when you're younger. So yeah, I'd say like being open and being a bit more confident and I'd say that's the only advice I would give myself. I don't know. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm spinning. Like I was so young (laughs) when I started university. Like um, I know everyone is, but I was like I was 17 in my first year, 
of university because I was young in high school. And I really didn't know what I wanted. I thought I was going to be an accountant. And then even after the first year of university, I hated it. And I took a year off just to try and figure out like what I really cared about and what I actually wanted to do, which I think was the right call. So I guess, I don't know, if I was speaking to anyone at the beginning of their university journey, I would say try to just like ask yourself some like hard-hitting, honest questions about what you really want what you're really passionate about because it's easy to think about like how can I earn the most money I think myself and a lot of people I don't know if this is true for either of you but went to school because our parents expected us to and not because we had a vision for our career so I, and that's why I ended up having to take a year off and just actually ask myself like what am I doing here like do I should I actually be here um, or do I want to do something else so Taking the time to ask yourself yourself those questions, and it doesn't even have to be the right answer. Like just come up with an answer and then try some things. And I think that's what I did right when I went back to school was I just kept trying things, and uh, that eventually kind of like got me in the direction uh, that took me to where I am now. And it can feel kind of like unproductive, I think, especially when you're in university. You've got four years. You need to pick a major, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and even figure out like what kind of work you should be doing during university to like kind of like amplify what you're learning and set yourself up to be like a, a qualified candidate when you're done. But being able to try different things in different contexts, I think, is really important because one, you don't know until you're in the trenches doing the work if it actually resonates with what you're passionate about and what your abilities are. Um, and then it allows you to kind of like check off or cross off things on your list and get you closer to where you're going. So I don't know. I feel like that's kind of long-winded and not super clear, but that's what I would have said to myself, and um, I hope it helps someone. Yeah. One thing I would probably add, too, is like what you study in university, there's all this pressure of like figuring out what you want to do based on what you're studying doesn't always connect. Like I think I have no regrets about my journalism degree because I think it actually did help me when I think about like what I do in marketing, which is like storytelling for brands, not just like a report or whatever article. So I think like putting off this pressure that like what you're studying and what your major is may not be what your future career path is and that's okay. Just like follow your interests and your skills and what you feel like you're good at and then your career path will just kind of evolve and become as it naturally will. So I think taking that pressure off would is something I wish I would have known and something I hope that like other people who are just starting university understand too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. Um, just to like not put it yourself really in a box. Yeah, not putting yourself in a box and limiting yourself before. It's kind of like, you know, when they say, um, like, don't say no to yourself before someone else has the opportunity to say no to you. Because then, you know, just totally. you might as well go for it. You have Definitely. things to, um, you have valuable things to bring to different teams and so just go for it the worst that can happen is they say no and you know that's just redirection so and that's part of it yeah. and I think even when someone says no to you like you don't even necessarily have to stop there like one of my favorite quotes ever that's really carried me through a lot of different phases of my career is by William Wilberforce and it was we're too young to realize that certain things are impossible so we'll do them anyway and I feel like 
you know, like coming into school and your first couple jobs and like trying different things with this almost like naive ignorance as to what's truly possible is actually an advantage, like an asset, you know, um, and even to be able to hear no. And even like Mitzi was saying earlier, be rejected for your ideas because they sound too big. Like, don't take that as a brick wall, you know, just take that as something like an obstacle to go around, to avoid and see if you can keep moving in the direction you want to move. Yeah. Mike, I thought you were going to quote Chris Jenner, who says, if you get a no, <laughs> you're just talking to the wrong person. <laughs> that too. Teed you up for that one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I don't know about you, Andre, but I thought that was incredibly insightful. Everything that you, Mike and Mitzi had said, like it really hit me hard <laughs> um, as like a student um, for life and yeah, it's definitely going to be something, um, well, all the points that you have said is definitely going to be something that I'll keep in mind um, from here on, for sure. Love yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for interviewing us. This was fun. Thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah this, this is going to be very helpful for many students, I'm sure, and even new grads. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It was a treat for us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Waves. If you enjoyed this episode, you can hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow along on social at Hello Arcade. We'll see you next time.